DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. Dr. Lewis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Dr. Lillis is also the author of Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, a theological contemplation of prayer. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we reflect on the writings of Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Her retreat, entitled The Last Retreat, is the source of our current reflection. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Anthony, thank you so much for joining me again. It's wonderful to be with you, Chris. We're on the 12th day of the last retreat. As we close in, even towards the, the remaining days, it always tweaks my heart a bit to think of this as the last retreat, she would write. Mm, yeah. This day is beautiful because she explores a, an important theme, the theme of peace. And for those of you who know her prayer, uh, Oh My God, Trinity, Whom I Adore, peace is one of the very first gifts she prays for. That was written a couple years before this retreat. On this 12th day, she kind of reflects on what she means by peace and opens it up. There's three paragraphs, and maybe we could take this paragraph at a time. Verbum caro factum est, et habitavit in nobis. God has said, Be holy, for I am holy. But he remained hidden in his inaccessible light, and the creature needed to have him descend to it, to live its life, so that following in his footsteps, it can thus ascend to him and become holy with his holiness. I sanctify myself for them, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Here I am in the presence of a mystery hidden from ages and generations, the mystery which is Christ, your hope of glory, says St. Paul. And he adds that the understanding of this mystery was given to him. So it is from the great apostle that I am going to learn how I may possess this knowledge which, in his expression, surpasses all other knowledge the knowledge of the love of Christ Jesus. So this is a powerful paragraph. It begins with a quotation from St. John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word dwelt among us. So the context of this is that Christ, the risen Lord, is dwelling among us, is present to us now. And the specific way that he's present to us right now, dwelling among us. He communicates to us his holiness. Holiness means to be set apart for God. So God is holy. God is the one who's completely set apart, completely above this world. He's above the struggle of good 
over evil. He has conquered it, conquered evil. In him lies the triumph of good. In this triumph of goodness and love, he reigns. But at the same time that that is true, he is also with us in the midst of our own struggles, dwelling with us. And he dwells with us. He's so present to us. He communicates to us his very holiness. The more we are open to his presence, he's present to us. When we make ourselves present to him, he can communicate his holiness to us. This holiness that he communicates to us through our intimacy with him, our being aware of his presence, this holiness has the form of love. It's love that makes us holy, like God is holy, because the holiness of God, what sets God apart above the whole world, is his love. And so love himself dwells with us in all our lack of love, communicates himself to us to the degree that we're open to it. And as he communicates himself to us, he conforms us into the image of his love. And it's this love that Blessed Elizabeth is concerned that we get to know now. The love of the personal presence of Jesus, whose love is not just a feeling or a sentiment or kind of a, a moral imperative. His love is present to us, has the transforming power of our new existence in him. And the more we know him, the more our existence is purified and intensified in him. And that's what Elizabeth of the Trinity wants for us. She wants us to be in this transforming presence of the Lord. Some people say that Catholics, we don't really use the language of a personal relationship with the Lord. And that's true, and it's, it's not true. It's true in a sense that you'll find here Protestants speak about that a little bit more. But what they mean by that is, is very important because some of what they mean by that is part of the greater Christian tradition and some of it is not really Christian. What is not really Christian is somebody would assert, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, which means that Jesus conforms to all my expectations and he's a Jesus who I make the image of whatever I need him to be at the moment. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. They either use Jesus to escape or for a sense of superiority of others over others. In other words, somebody can say the name Jesus but actually be worshiping an idol of pride. And insofar as somebody says, I have a personal relationship with Jesus and they're running away from life and they're not really dealing with truth and they're not really dealing with the lack of love in their lives, that kind of expression wouldn't be what we as Catholics mean when we talk about a personal relationship with the Lord. I think a, a proper Catholic response would be, when I say I have a personal relationship with the Lord, I'm not talking about someone who conforms to my expectations and my imagination and what I want him to be. Rather, God has become present in our midst and he is above uh, my expectations and my imagination. In fact, my expectations and my imaginations and my needs are to be judged in the light of his living presence, a presence that is so present, a personal present that is so present, it is more present than I am to myself. It is the presence from which I come, and it is a presence of love 
that my frail existence is going to is being judged and i can accept that judgment and surrender to it or i can run away from it when i accept the judgment of love and submit my existence to that judgment of love he can save me even though i fall short of the glory of god even though i need to repent and my life needs to be reformed love can save me but when i run away from that presence when i refuse that judgment of love when i hide from it then i don't allow the lord to accomplish the great work that he wants to do and i have rejected the gift of my own salvation those who say yes to the salvific presence of the lord the salvific personal presence of the lord who communicates all life and love and holiness to us to transform us so that we can live forever these are the ones who have entered into a truly personal relationship with the lord it's personal because it's like the personal relations in the holy trinity itself where they communicate life and love to one another we receive life and love from the son of god through the power of the holy spirit it's this knowledge a knowledge that surpasses all other knowledge that elizabeth of the trinity wants us to know when we know christ jesus what are we afraid of anthony what is it that would block us from pursuing that relationship well i think there are broken things in our nature that we are inordinately attached to we enjoy being in control we enjoy comforts and we enjoy other people thinking about us the way we want them to think about us good or ill and so our attachment to our reputation to being in control and to comfort sometimes is so great we're more attached to those things than we are to Christ Jesus we want to know how to be in control of situations because we don't want to be anxious and all it does is make us more anxious we want others to think highly of us or to think about us the way we want them to so we want to know how to control their opinion of us and that makes us fearful and anxious and proud and blocks us off we want comforts and entertainment and the easy life the life that we think we we're entitled to and we deserve and so we block off the love of god and here's the truth jesus wants to give us something so much more than pleasure and comfort comfort something so much more fulfilling he wants to raise our reputation above the heavens but it means being able to let our reputation here on earth die he wants to bring us into the safety and the security of the father to know his loving providence that it means our struggle for control over others and situations needs to die and we are afraid of death we do not want to die the idea of following our crucified master in suffering in our own passion in the pattern of his death this scares us and so we run from Christ Jesus as long as we are anxious and afraid to lay down our lives as long as we are trying to grasp at life and save our lives we will lose it we will lose everything the great journey and elizabeth is pointing to this at least indirectly in these words the great journey 
is to learn to trust Jesus with everything. And if you can trust Jesus with everything, then he will lead you into a fullness that nothing in this world can take away, that surpasses everything else. It's a journey of trust. So you ask, you know, why, what are we afraid of? And the answer is, we're afraid to trust. We're afraid to die. We're afraid to trust Jesus. And Elizabeth is saying, look to him, know him, and as you behold him, you will find the reason to trust him. And you will be able to die to yourself because what you will know is so much better than what you are, you're going to forget. That's what she's trying to encourage us to do. On this 12th day, we are encouraged to embrace that call to holiness. And she talks about, to, as you just said, to trust that he will bring you peace. First of all, he tells me that he is my peace, that it is through him that I have access to the Father. For it has pleased this Father of lights that in him all fullness should dwell, and that through him he should reconcile to himself all things, whether on the earth or in the heavens, making peace through the blood of his cross. You have received of his fullness, the Apostle continues. You were buried with him in baptism, and in him you rose again through faith in the working of God. He brought you to life along with him, forgiving all your sins, canceling the decree of condemnation which weighed on you. He abolished it by nailing it to the cross despoiling principalities and powers, he victoriously led them away as captives, triumphing over them in himself to present you holy, pure, and without reproach before him. This is the heart of her message today. Now, this is an awesome paragraph because she's telling us the nature of Christian peace and the nature, something about what Christian prayer can do, which no other kind of prayer of any other spiritual tradition makes the same claim as Christian prayer. And other forms of prayer and methods and techniques that claim to be able to do this are either counterfeit or they are themselves Christian uh, under other packaging. But this is the great claim of Christian prayer. Christian prayer brings us peace because it reestablishes us in righteousness. It reconciles us. It rectifies our being, forgives the debt of our sins. It frees us from all the powers of evil so that rectified we can stand before God, holy and immaculate. That's only the Christian faith promises that, and only faith in Christ Jesus can do that. And that's why knowing Jesus is so important. That's our peace. Our peace is to be able to stand before God rectified. Rectified means to be made straight up, to be able to stand up. 
and we're able to stand up because the love of God and what Jesus did for us on the cross gives us the firm ground we need to stand with our being without Christ Jesus, without the truth from the Father, without the, the love that comes from the Father, we're awash, we are drowning in a world of meaninglessness. But with that word, we have something to stand on. And what does that word say? The word says that despite all our sin and failure and all our wickedness and all the ways that we have fallen short and our weakness and our voids and broken dreams and broken hearts and disappointments, despite all those things that have gone wrong in our lives that weigh us down, that is not the deepest truth of who we are. The deepest truth of who we are is that we are the beloved of the Father, and we can stand on that because Jesus died to show us that. He died that we might be reconciled with the Father, that we might have access to, with the Father, that we might know His loving gaze, that we might be enfolded in his loving arms, that we might know his bosom. And Jesus is the one who leads us there. He leads us there by purifying us of sin. He leads us there by protecting us from principalities and powers of evil uh, that are trying to drag us down. He leads us there by giving us the strength we need in trials and tribulations so that uh, we don't return to the base way of life we had before. He leads us there by restoring our dignity, by helping us remember who we are, the sons and daughters of the Father, bought with the price of his own blood, bought at great price, because in the eyes of the Father we are so very precious. This is what Elizabeth wants us to know when we gaze on Christ Jesus. And when you know this, there is a peace that you have that nothing in this world can take from you. You are truly yourself. You have been saved by Jesus. You know who you are. And, and knowing who you are, you're at peace with yourself. You're able to be at peace with your brothers and sisters. You're able to be at peace with members of your family. You're able to forgive. You're able to let go of bitterness and resentment. You're able to trust God because you know who you are. And you know where you stand before God. And you know that God hasn't rejected you, that he's reached out to you, that he's called you, and that you have a place before him. And so you have the courage to stand and to be confident and to remain firm. This is the greatness of, of our Christian vocation. And Christian prayer alone avails us to these riches. Other kinds of techniques in prayer and meditation and so forth and other traditions, they can give you psychological relief from suffering. They can offer you a way out of the pain and inner anxieties that are part of this life, at least temporarily give you some kind of sense of enlightenment. But none of them can lead you into the arms of the Father. No other prayer, no other spirituality can unveil to you the heart of the Father that loves you without measure. But prayer to Christ Jesus, conformed to his death, it can give you the peace of knowing that love, the surpassing knowledge. And it's this peace that Elizabeth of the Trinity wants us to have. She, here on her deathbed, is writing this retreat because she wants the sisters in her community to be able to live in this peace. And we can too if we trust him. She encourages us that his work doesn't end 
he's still working within us to help us and to encourage us. For her, Christ lives. That's right. This last paragraph talks about that work. And this piece isn't static. It's a piece that God works in us. And so it's a dynamic piece. And here in this last paragraph, she unfolds the nature of this work. This is Christ's work in every soul of goodwill, and it is the work that his immense love, his exceeding love, is eager to do in me. He wants to be my peace, so that nothing can distract me or draw me out of the invincible fortress of holy recollection. It is there that he will give me access to the Father and will keep me as still and as peaceful in his presence as if my soul were already in eternity. It is by the blood of his cross that he will make peace in my little heaven so that it may truly be the repose of the three. He will fill me with himself He will bury me with him. He will make me live again with him and by his life. Mihi viveri Christus est. And if I fall at every moment, in a holy, confident faith, I will be helped up by him. I know that he will forgive me that he will cancel out everything with a jealous care, and even more, he will despoil me. He will free me from all my miseries, from everything that is an obstacle to the divine action. He will lead away all my powers, making them his captives, triumphing over them in himself. Then I will have wholly passed into him and can say, I no longer live. My master lives in me. And I will be holy, pure, without reproach in the Father's eyes. This paragraph says that the reason why we can stand before the presence of the Father, holy and immaculate and without reproach before him, is because Jesus is at work fasting us into his very image and likeness. This paragraph also says that the, the place where Jesus is able to do this more than any other place is in prayer. Holy recollection is, is a moment in prayer where you direct all the powers of attention of your soul and direct them to God. Now, we should be recollected at every moment of our lives. We should always be aware of God's presence. But our ability to be recollected at each moment of our lives requires that we also have time in our day where we, every day, we pull away, even if it's just for 15 minutes in the morning before everybody gets up or 15 minutes at night before every after everybody's gone to bed and we have that little bit of silence in the house or or some other 10 to 15 minute period in the day, maybe before or after Mass if you're able to go to daily Mass. And you just give your whole heart and your whole attention to God for that, to 
to the Lord Jesus for that 15 minutes. Surrender your heart to him. Making space for Jesus for those 15 minutes, 20 minutes if you can. Jesus does something beautiful in your heart in that little space of silence that you give him. He begins to purify you in the deep, deep depths, places so deep modern psychology hasn't even discovered them yet. He begins purifying those places and making them beautiful, a beautiful place for God to dwell. He brings a fruitfulness to your heart so that virtues that you don't even know you have begin to sprout and grow. And this whole time that he's doing this for you, you become more and more Christ-like. He becomes the animating principle of your life. A short time devoted to prayer every day where you allow him your full attention, gives him the space to begin to animate your life more and more with his presence, with his power, and with his love. And this is the work that he's doing. Those who avail themselves to this work, they know the peace of Christ Jesus. This beautiful thing, the first thing that Jesus says when he appears to his apostles after the resurrection is, peace be with you. Well, if peace was such an easy thing, he wouldn't have needed to say it. But he grants them peace because peace is a very difficult work to accomplish. And if we want to receive the blessing of the peace of the Lord in our lives, Elizabeth is saying here, recollection, sometimes spent in prayer every day, avails your heart, makes your heart a place where Jesus can recreate in you his whole mystery, a mystery that becomes a source of peace for you and all those in your life that he entrusts to you. Final thoughts on this 12th day, Anthony? Well, I um, just one small thing. How is Jesus forming you into his image and likeness? And, and you'll see this in Elizabeth's writing. She loves to talk about the exceeding love, the immense love of God. For those of you who have the practice of prayer and are able to spend longer periods of prayer, I want to encourage you to that as you can. For those of you who, for whom prayer is a brand new experience, you haven't really developed the, the practice yet, I recommend start small, but to begin. And uh, what is it that you are thinking about when you turn your heart to God? Well, I encourage you to think about the immensity of His love for you. How whatever you know of his love, his love is greater. And let that truth wash over you again and again. Let yourself, uh, another way of speaking about that same reality, is let yourself be bathed in the blood of Jesus, the blood he poured out for you. Those blood shed so that you might know the overflowing presence of the love of the Father in your life. If you can spend a few minutes every day allowing yourself to be loved with that, immeasurable love, something begins to happen in your heart and in your life, in your relationships uh, with those who are closest to you. And that something that begins to happen is the most precious thing that can ever happen in somebody's life. Thank you so much, Anthony. Thank you, Chris. God bless you. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. To hear and or to download this episode, along with many others, go to DiscerningHearts.com. This has been a production of DiscerningHearts.com. I'm your host, Chris.
Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Wallace.